One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. President Donald Trump has spent his career, and particularly his time in the White House, flouting norms. President Trump has been in office for nearly two and a half years, and his administration has seen unprecedented turnover uh, inside his cabinet. This is definitely unprecedented. It is worth looking at what the president just did here because, as we said, it's unprecedented. Unprecedented. Unprecedented in both its breadth and its brazenness. Having lost the election, will Donald Trump make his last few weeks in office just as unprecedented, particularly when it comes to the power of the presidential pardon? No president in American history has ever pardoned himself. And if he does it, it's the kind of thing nobody would be surprised by. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, will Donald Trump pardon himself? Josh Glancy here, Washington Bureau Chief for the Sunday Times. To find out how the last few weeks of the Trump administration are playing out, we turned to the Sunday Times Washington Bureau Chief. Yeah, this is pardon season. It starts with Thanksgiving when they pardon the turkey and then will run until January the 20th when Joe Biden becomes president. And we're used to this debate at this point in presidency because the president no longer has to face the voters again. So the president is free to do that as he pleases until he's out of office. I think at this point, people are expecting Trump to uh, flout whatever remaining norms. He hasn't flouted because there's really nothing to stop him. He wasn't someone who was particularly accountable to norms before he lost the election, but now there's really no reason for him not to. How unusual is this, you know, the the pardoning of some of your friends or closest allies? The powers of the pardon have gone back to the very beginning of the presidency. They were there in the founding. Alexander Hamilton of the musical fame implemented them. But their use has changed over time. The previous president, Barack Obama, used them much more to commute drug sentences. You know, his sense that the drug sentencing laws are a little bit unfair in America and tend to sort of veer towards African-Americans in particular. And so he used it that way. Trump has used the pardon power pretty sparingly. In fact, he's used it less than, I think, any other modern president apart from George H.W. Bush. And when he's tended to use it, it's been in a very Trumpian way. I guess we could call it cronyism. It's been people that have managed to reach Trump or friends with Trump or allies of Trump and, and get through to him. People like Michael Milken, the junk bonds trader, people like Conrad Black, the former owner of the Daily Telegraph, mm. and someone like Alice Johnson, who was a drug dealer who gained the sponsorship of Kim Kardashian. And Kim Kardashian was able to make her case to Donald Trump personally. So 
We haven't seen him use pardons widely. We've seen him use them when a case takes his interest or reaches his ear, basically. And whilst he decides who to pardon, are there signs of unrest behind the scenes? Well, as we know from Donald Trump's pre-presidential career, he does like firing people. The latest departure is Bill Barr, the Attorney General, who's been a very staunch ally of Trump's and probably his most important cabinet member in many ways. But a matter of weeks or days even before the end of Trump's presidency, Barr is being shown the door. It's being framed as a resignation, but the two have fallen out quite badly. Barr hasn't been as supportive as Trump would like over the election fraud conspiracy theory, I suppose. He did this a sort of fairly half-hearted Justice Department, we're going to look into this, reported back that there was no significant election fraud to speak of and left it there. And Trump, who rather sees the Justice Department as a sort of extension of his own will, if you like, was very disappointed by this and thought that, you know, Barr, who has backed him up very strongly in previous battles, such as the Mueller report, had rather let the side down. There are rumours that he had very set opinions on pardons too. Barr was instrumental in effectively dropping the case against General Michael Flynn, who has now been pardoned. He helped commute Roger Stone, although did also rebuke Trump for his rather unseemly public interventions into that. And he said, I can't do my job if you're shouting over the top of me and making it all look horribly corrupt. So it's possible that other pardons that Trump may be muting would have been made more difficult by Barr. So how might Donald Trump use the presidential pardon in his last few weeks? What can we learn from the use of pardons in the past? And why does such a power even exist? What we need is a bit of historical context. I happened to grow up in Alabama in the 1960s and 1970s. I was Jewish, still am Jewish, but being a minority at that time made me very sensitive to the civil rights movement, which was unfolding in front of me. And I saw how law, I think, was very critical to the development and maintenance of that movement. That's Michael Gerhardt. Constitutional law professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Michael came of age during a tumultuous time in American politics. Because I also grew up at a time which coincided with Watergate, which resulted in President Nixon's resignation from office. So I got very interested in how government can check itself. And those interests led me to study constitutional law and to continue studying it and now teaching it. President Richard Nixon resigned in 1974 after investigations found that members of his administration had taken part in widespread illegal activities and corruption, the Watergate scandal. So how does the Trump era compare? It has a fair bit in common with Nixon, but in some respects it's even worse or I should say, in some respects, it's an even greater test for the Constitution. With President Nixon, we saw how special prosecutors could work independently of the president and investigate wrongdoing that might include him. Also, both the House and the Senate of Congress each investigated the president and each held hearings. And and ultimately, the Supreme Court sided with the investigations of Nixon And that demonstrated how the Supreme Court and Congress could each keep the presidency in check. Now, with President Trump, Congress has not been much of a check on the president because Republicans in Congress have stopped or impeded investigations of President Trump. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, other distinguished members of the committee. It's an honor and a privilege to join the other distinguished witnesses to discuss a matter of grave concern to our country. Michael Gerhardt actually testified in front of the House Judiciary Committee during the impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump back in December 2019. Because this House, the People's House, has the sole power of impeachment, there is no better forum to discuss the constitutional standard for impeachment and whether that standard has been met in the case of the current president of the United States. It's a great privilege to be able to be one of the four people invited to testify in front of the Judiciary Committee about the Constitution and what the scope of impeachable offenses happens to be and whether President Trump might have committed an impeachable offense. So we want to talk to you today about presidential pardons. You know, they are suddenly very much in vogue. And to be perfectly honest, from this side of the Atlantic, they seem like quite a quaint power. I mean, can you sort of just explain to us why that power exists and how it came about? Well, that power initially existed, of course, in the King of England. The framers of the Constitution and their generation obviously felt they wanted to break away from the tyranny of the king. The framers of the Constitution were a group of men who drafted the Constitution of the United States in 1787. They included well-known names such as George Washington, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Together, they drafted a new government structure for America after cutting their ties to the King of England in the Revolutionary War. But they didn't see all bad in the king. The king had the power to pardon, to achieve a level of justice and mercy that was unattainable through any other mechanisms in our government. And that was something the framers thought was a valuable check to have in the government as a way to protect against unfair, abusive, or corrupt prosecutions. The framers knew firsthand that prosecutions could get out of hand. They had been the victims of abusive prosecutions in the colonies. And so giving the president the authority to be able to look at those and correct those injustices was vitally important to them. But then why would that power lie with the president? You know, why not set up a committee or a, an appeal court? If you give the pardon power to the courts, suddenly the courts are in a sense checking themselves, which isn't necessarily a good thing. And if you give it to Congress, there is a risk that Congress could use it to protect their own. But there's one figure in the American government who's supposed to be accountable to everyone, and that's the president. And so we give it to the president, and again, at least ideally in the American system, the president's not immune to checks himself. Mm. So let's say the president abuses that power, then there are various checks that are designed to keep that person in check. So They did accept that was a possibility. They certainly accepted the possibility the president could be corrupt. So the framers created the impeachment power as one of the principal checks against a corrupt president. So the impeachment power was closely connected to the pardon power, and the impeachment power is there in part to check against the president abusing his powers, including the pardon power. And what about the idea, which we're hearing increasingly these days, of the preemptive pardon? Would that have been something they would have accepted? I don't think we know for sure what they particular um, might have thought, but what we do know is the idea of preemptive pardons is not viewed as illegitimate. We know from past practice, presidents, and for that matter, the American people, have accepted that there could be such things as a preemptive pardon. The most famous 
One in the United States is when President Gerald Ford pardoned his immediate predecessor, Richard Nixon, preemptively to avoid any kind of federal investigations or prosecutions against Nixon once he left office. I think from history's point of view, Ford looks as if he's trying to get above the fray and really try and do something that is in the, for the best interests of the country and not do something petty or mean or vengeful. And, and Nixon did benefit from that in the short term, but it has not immunized him from tremendous scrutiny. And history's done a pretty good job of holding Nixon accountable because in every telling of the Nixon story, he cannot evade his responsibility for the corruption he had allowed and he had himself perpetrated. You mentioned Gerald Ford, but it's a power which has been used by, as far as I can tell, almost every president. Take us back to how it's been used in history. Presidents have used the power both to pardon people, that is to say, wipe away their convictions, but also to commute their sentences. President George H.W. Bush, in the last few days of his administration, pardoned a number of people close to him that had been investigated by a special prosecutor for corruption relating to a deal called the Iran-Contra deal. And before that, President Carter actually had pardoned all the people who had dodged the draft during the Vietnam War. That was controversial. President Clinton used it to pardon his half-brother, Roger Clinton. And President Clinton also pardoned Mark Rich, a big supporter of his who had been convicted and was living abroad. And a lot of people saw in both the Roger Clinton and Mark Rich pardons evidence of Bill Clinton's corruption. So presidents have got to be careful about it. It's not unusual for presidents to do their most controversial pardons near the end of their terms as they're going out. And that's another reason why we might see the most controversial pardon of all from President Trump to be his last. It's interesting, though, they do divide into categories there. I mean, there are the ones like Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush with Iran-Contra, where you are excusing people who are close to you and should be facing criminal charges, whereas the Jimmy Carter one seems almost like sort of um, trying to accelerate a change in law which affects vast numbers of the population, probably. I I think that's right. I I think uh, what President Carter was doing also was very similar to what President Ford had done with pardoning Richard Nixon. Ford pardoned Nixon in part to put that whole controversy of Watergate behind us. And I think Carter was pardoning all the so-called draft dodgers because he wanted to put the Vietnam War behind us so we could move forward. And in terms of President Donald Trump, we're all watching to see who he pardons in his last few weeks, but he has already used the power of pardon to fairly strong effect. Can you tell us a bit about the people he's pardoned so far and what it tells us about his presidency? He's pardoned a number of Republican politicians who have been very strong supporters of his. Sheriff Arpaio in Arizona, Roger Stone more recently, and most recently, Michael Flynn, who had actually been convicted and pled guilty. And Flynn had worked on Trump's staff. Stone had been a longtime friend of Trump. Arpaio had been a kind of high-profile supporter. Denise D'Souza, another conservative Republican, had been convicted, but was a very strong supporter of President Trump. In a sense, Trump was rewarding friends. The president's placing loyalty, personal loyalty, above the law. And that's a very dangerous thing and quite antithetical to the values that are enshrined in the United States Constitution. Well, that's a really interesting point, because 
from what you've told us about how the constitution was written by the framers, there were checks and balances put in place. Why haven't those kicked in? The most obvious check that could kick in at this point is one that has already been tried against President Trump, and that is impeachment. Impeachment was designed to protect against a president pardoning people with whom he's in criminal conspiracy or conspiring against the United States for some financial benefit or otherwise. But what we learned from the impeachment that happened uh, late last year and finished early this year, what we learned from that is Republicans held together to protect Trump. The framers didn't expect political parties. And political parties have become uh, hugely important in this country. And at times, uh, parties seems to be more important than institutions. The second related problem is because of party fidelity, we've also run into an impasse, sometimes becomes paralyzed. For example, in the early days of President Obama's administration, when the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, we're not going to cooperate with Obama at all. He's recently said the same thing about Joe Biden incoming as president. And that becomes a problem for our system of government when one branch, in a sense, checks out or refuses to cooperate or coordinate with another branch. And that does suggest that the Constitution does need some revisiting. Uh, a lot of constitutional scholars think that, but we don't wield much power as constitutional scholars. The Constitution is incredibly hard to amend. Three quarters of all the states would have to agree on any potential changes, an almost impossibly big majority these days. But the Trump presidency has certainly tested the system. The president has been disdainful of Constitution. The people in the Trump administration and the president do not think, and they've argued this expressly, they do not think it's right to be able to hold the president accountable in any legal proceeding. The only way they ever recognized the president was accountable was in the electoral process. But keep in mind, the president was impeached because he was trying to use his office to bribe or coerce foreign officials to help him in his election. And so the president was trying to game the electoral system. And therefore, President Trump was even a threat to the electoral process in a fundamental way. What President Trump succeeded in demonstrating is how he could use his office to benefit himself financially, as well as to avoid any kind of legal or political accountability. And that is a tremendous problem going forward. Looking ahead in the next few weeks, I mean, um, who might Donald Trump pardon? Well, I think it sounds like he's considering pardoning his whole family, uh, which, by the way, tells us something. I mean, if his whole family needs pardoning. And do we have any ideas of what the crimes are that he'd be pardoning them for? Well, we have a rough sense of it. It's actually illegal to use government offices to help yourself financially or to help your business. But to the extent that the president's family did that, he could try and pardon them for that. To the extent that you were involved with policies that were either illegal or horrifying, let's say like the family separation at the border. And there may be other things we don't even know about that he may try and pardon them for. What they will all say, including the president, is that they're just being investigated because politics or just because the Democrats have a political or partisan motive for going after them. And Donald Trump does seem to be afraid of legal investigations into his family, but also his own actions. So do you think President Trump will pardon himself? That's the big question of the day right now here in the United States is whether or not President Trump will pardon himself. 
The only president ever came close was Richard Nixon, who thought about it, but his Justice Department, to its credit, delivered an opinion, an official opinion, that said the presidents are not allowed to pardon themselves. So President Trump would be the first to seriously try and maybe do it. I mean, there are rumors that he has been making inquiries about this already. He's been talking about it for four years. (laughs) So he's clearly thinking about it. And if he does it, it's the kind of thing nobody would be surprised by because Trump as president has been self-dealing throughout the four years. I think what works against that is the Constitution gives the president the power to grant pardons. And the very language to grant means to give someone else something. And so the Constitution's language and I think history cut against the president's being able to, to pardon himself. And if President Trump were to do that, I think it would likely get challenged in the courts. And if that were to go up the Supreme Court, it's not entirely clear whether he has the five votes he needs on that from that nine-member court to be able to uphold his pardoning himself. I think that may be one or maybe the primary reason he might be hesitant, but my guess is he thinks that his appointees on the Supreme Court and other Republicans there will side with him. So he's he's likely going to bank on that as he has over the last four years. And if he does pardon his family and attempt to pardon himself, would that exempt them from all legal challenges in the future? No, it would not. A pardon from the presidency, in a sense, cleans the slate as it relates to federal offenses or offenses against the United States. But a pardon does not relate in any way to a state crime. And so the president, for example, is being investigated in New York for for financial improprieties. And there's nothing that a pardon could do to stop any kind of state investigation or state prosecution. And what sort of legal cases do you think we might see President Trump facing after he leaves office? Well, there are roughly two or three different kinds. The first kind has to do with improprieties in his business transactions before he became president. The second class might be illegal activities he committed while he was in office. And then I think the third kind of cases we we might expect are going to be brought up in state court. And those are all going to be directed at whether or not he lied or committed fraud or broke state laws in any of his businesses. There may also be international issues that come up. All three of those categories provide the likelihood that the president's going to be facing a widespread number of investigations and possible prosecutions. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You can get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free on a digital subscription. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So how is all the talk of pardons playing out in Washington, D.C.? I asked Josh Glancy. Trump was quoted in a report recently that he was discussing pardons like Christmas gifts. There's even reports that some people in the White House are saying they don't want pardons because they think it would make them look like they've committed a crime and they haven't. So some of this may be rather hyperbolic, but it's certainly true that Trump won't be shy to protect himself and his allies. Uh, he could issue preemptive pardons to his children, Ivanka, Eric and Don Jr., and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. He could issue pardons to Rudy Giuliani, his personal lawyer, and someone like Steve Bannon, who's in a lot of legal hot water at the moment over a crowdfunding campaign that was allegedly fraudulent. Steve Bannon, President Trump's former chief strategist, who runs the right-wing Breitbart News, is currently facing charges for criminal fraud. For more on that case, do have a listen to our podcast on Bannon. Paul Manafort, his campaign chief, who was also caught up in the Mueller investigation and got a long sentence. But the presidential pardon has its limitations. It's worth noting here also that even if he gave a federal pardon to all these people, including himself, that doesn't exempt them from state prosecution. And a lot of the investigations into Trump himself are happening in New York by the state attorney general and the Manhattan attorney general. So he wouldn't necessarily be exempt from those. And do you know what sort of investigations those are? Letitia James, who's the state attorney general of New York, is looking into Trump primarily around this issue of tax evasion, of underreporting his tax liabilities. There's also a case that Michael Cohen went to prison for, campaign finance violation, uh, the payoffs to Stormy Daniels, the porn star, and Karen McDougal, the Playboy model, uh, both of whom Trump is alleged to have had affairs with and then paid off illicitly to protect his presidential campaign. There is wild speculation about Julian Assange or Joe Exotic, who you may remember from Tiger King if you watch that, and all sorts of others. So I'm sure there will be some eye-catching pardons. And do you think with all the other problems he'll have to deal with when he comes into office, you know, coronavirus and the economy. Do you think Biden will want to pursue investigations into Trump? My suspicion is that Biden does not want to pursue this too heavily. He doesn't want to give Donald Trump 
the sense of being a victim and the ability to shout from the rooftops about how he's being pursued. It would also generate endless news stories. And so although Biden doesn't control the state prosecutors, they are Democrats. Um, He could lean on them. I suspect he won't encourage them to go too hard at this, although they may want to pursue it somewhat for their own purposes. Do you think that's part of the reason why the Trump campaign is still pursuing legal challenges in terms of the election? Does it help them in negotiating what happens next? to have this sort of threat of a lot of disgruntled people in the country. The really hardline anti-Trumpers would say he's so scared of going out of office because he's headed straight to prison uh, and that's why he won't give up on the election ghost. Uh, I don't think that's true, really. But I think there's a softer point there, which which you sort of hinted at, which is that he's always going to want leverage um, and convincing a, a significant rump of his supporters of Republican voters that he was had the election stolen from him and that he is the rightful president gives him a hold over those people and a hold over Republican voters. My suspicion is just knowing Joe Biden and his rhetoric, and actually some things he's already hinted at, is that he wants to heal America, he wants to unify America. So um, I just think he's going to rein it in. And the, the pardons are one of the big concerns that are sort of popping up at the moment, but there are other things. What can we expect to see uh, the president doing for the last few weeks? Number one is he's dismantling environmental regulations quite broadly and widely. A second thing is he's also been trying to uh, arrange for the dismissal for a lot of federal employees who thought they had job protections because they were civil servants. And also, the next thing that President Trump is doing, he's trying to put people he does like into positions in the federal government that are immunized from easy removal. And that could become another problem. So he's trying to create his own deep state, so to speak, that's there to undermine Biden. And if you're removing a lot of people from government, that's going to reduce the ability of the federal government to enforce federal law. So think about voting rights, civil rights, any other kinds of rights. And what about on the foreign stage? So he's withdrawing federal troops abroad, I think pretty much whole scale. The difficulty there is the troops are there for a reason to protect against certain things from happening. So if he withdraws American forces, he leaves regions vulnerable to all sorts of mayhem. What's your sort of biggest fear for the next couple of months? Well, I, I, <laughs> I have a lot of fears. <laughs> I think the biggest one I have is that there are lots of bad things the president did that we don't know about. I've heard, for example, that The president's ordering the destruction of documents throughout the executive branch. I assume this is the destruction of documents that would show he had done something improper. I'm afraid that what the president's going to do is be able to avoid or evade any kind of accountability for any of those bad things he did that never kind of got into daylight. Is there a chance that actually he won't do very much at all? He seems quite preoccupied with all the legal cases and still trying to prove that the election was, was a fraud. First, the fact that he's continuing to try and undermine the legitimacy of the election is one of the greatest dangers that he's posed. And so the more time he spends trying to undermine people's faith in the electoral system as working, the worse off we are as a democracy. But he also has other people who are his enablers within the White House who will go out and do his bidding to undermine all the other things we've just talked about. So he doesn't have to do a lot of things himself. One of the greatest damages caused by the Trump presidency 
has to do with the COVID-19. He's really undermined the production and distribution of a vaccine that could get out to American people in any timely way. And that's horrifying. He's really gutted a lot of the federal instrumentalities that were responsible for keeping the Americans safe. It's been deathly to a lot of Americans, you know, more than 250,000. And the number just keeps creeping up and the president seems to not care. In fact, he wants people apparently to die because he's done nothing to prevent that. Beyond the pardons and the policies that President Trump rushes through in his last few weeks in office, what else can we expect to see from him in the next year? There will be media Trump, really. I mean, he has always been a media figure, even in office. So there's some speculation that he may join Newsmax or One American News Network, which are the very favourable pro-Trump news networks. He could even get a show on Fox, who he has now something of a love-hate frenemy relationship with. He will be a valuable commodity. People will want to listen to him. We're all so familiarised with listening to Trump now and his sort of strange comic rambles that it actually, I think, a show by him could do rather well. Josh, are you going to miss him? <sighs> no. <laughs> a, because I don't think we'll stop hearing from him, but B, I got to a point by the end of the Trump presidency where I just thought, enough now. I think particularly during the pandemic, when it was such a grave era, is such a grave era for all of us, that the idea that you could find it even remotely comic or even just enjoyable... I don't know, it was always very serious to have someone as erratic as Trump in the Oval Office, but one did become accustomed to it and it did become normalised. But by the end, I just thought, you know what, there's been good aspects of the Trump presidency, there's been some awful aspects of the Trump presidency, um, but I do think this has probably run its course. Um, and I think the American people did broadly agree with me. been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the Sunday Times Washington Bureau Chief, Josh Glancy, and the distinguished constitutional law expert, Professor Michael Gerhardt. The producer was Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you have time, please do leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast. And if there's a story you think we should be covering, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, you can email us at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.